I'm Brian Foster, and this is the Grindhouse Institute's Midnight Movie. On each of these episodes, Jeremy Floyd and I examine one movie worthy of the coveted Midnight Movie Showtime. We're happy you could join us for today's chat as we brave the narrow corridors of Nightmare Alley. In some ways, we've been down this alley before. We talked about the 1947 Nightmare Alley back in episode 54. But now that we have Guillermo del Toro's new nightmare, we're schlepping our souls down to the old carnival to see what the sneaks and geeks are up to this time. Stanton Carlyle, a drifter turned carny, learns the art of a mentalist act from two seasoned pros. With this knowledge, Stanton will convince a wealthy dowager that he truly has the gift of second sight, but what will happen when he tries to run the same play on a bigger fish? Guillermo del Toro directs Bradley Cooper, Rooney Mara, and an all-star cast in 2021's Nightmare Alley. Thank you for listening to the Grindhouse Institute's Midnight Movie. Please enjoy. All right, welcome back. Uh, we are doing a new show today. It's Grindhouse Institute's Midnight Movie, and with me, as always, is Jeremy Floyd. Hello, and how are you? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm getting a feeling. It, yes, yes, we're not alone, Brian. I'm getting a name. It's, it's, uh, it's Alex Vlahov from <gasps> the Only Film Noir Film Account. Oh my God, Jeremy, you're a mentalist. Incredible. <laughs> Every time. Incredible is right. He's with us. He's in the room. <laughs> Welcome back, Alex. Hey, gentlemen. Thank you so much for having me back. Always a pleasure. I mean, since we're talking about a film noir, and since we already talked about the original with you, we had to do it. This makes perfect sense. We had to conjure Alex Vlahov. <laughs> we materialized him. You know, doing that episode really made me appreciate going into this one because it was so... It was so top of mind. So, uh, yeah. That, yeah, fun as always. I agree fully, yeah. Uh, today, um, we're trying a different format out today. We're going to be doing one movie. Um, and the idea that we had, uh, or they were thrown around, that we were going to be doing newer movies. Um, oh. What's nice about this one is it's a movie from 2021 or end of 2021. Um, but it's also a remake, and I'd say somewhat of a great remake of one of the original noirs that we watched on our horror noir show with Alex. So it's good that we're talking about uh, the remake here and some of those changes and like what you guys thought of it. And I think we can just riff from there. Um, Yeah. yeah, This, um, I'd like to start. This one definitely Uh, cranked up the horror on the horror. Oh man, for sure. (laughs) This is definitely a horror noir. um, And it's definitely a remake done by Guillermo del Toro for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's not going to win Best Picture, but I want it to. I just want to say that before anything. <laughs> I think it's incredible that it was even nominated. In a way, the nomination is the win. But, oh, wow. I just, I, I love this no. film. I did, yeah. too. Um, and I'm not one for a lot of remakes. I think that sometimes they are by the numbers. I do agree that this one is also a very by the numbers remake. It is, like, kind of a beat for beat. Um, but I think that there was a bit of modernization that was done throughout whether it be you know through technology or things like that in cinema but i also think that the storyline was modernized and the storyline was stronger characters were stronger motivations were stronger and it just made it hit much harder than the original and also it was much easier to follow like the through line of this one um in general but um i did think that this was a good um remake and i you could tell del toro is just a big fan of old hollywood and you know he really kind of 
brought that into the modern world. Did you notice it was all on the precipice of World War II starting? Right, and one so thing I found really interesting. With that Chaplin guy? Well, well just... just was, what, the, the, 40, it's kind of in the background as America is going to war. Because they were just of, invading Poland by like the middle of the movie they said that. It's, mm. it's sort of right before we enter the war. And what I find interesting, just about noir in general, there's this like whole idea of... Um, World War II ends, Mm -hmm. and the constraint of having to have a happy ending is what allows noir to flourish. It's a very post-noir genre. So in this movie, you're getting a kind of a noir tale, but pre-noir, before, like Mm in the before the the studio system started cranking them out with regularity. Because again, not having to have that happy ending during wartime really allowed this genre to come to fruition, which so influenced the look, the style. Uh, I, I mean, I listened to a couple interviews with Del Toro around this. One thing that he pointed out, and, and guys, let me know if you saw this. Uh, a lot of the sets are basically hallways, like very uh-huh. skinny corridors. Interesting. And What's when you the think purpose? About, uh, I, I think that there's this sort of, well, it's in the title, Alley, right? Oh, this, right. This, you know, like the, these these boulevards, these sort of like skinny passages that are inescapable. Uh, and when I think about it, Kate Blanchett's beautiful, beautifully designed office mm-hmm. is very hallway shaped. The final scene with right, Tim Blake hallway, Nelson, yeah. great little cameo at the end. Yeah. That little that room is basically a hallway. Uh, then there's of course like the the maze. Like there's there's it's in the title. It should be a giveaway. But from the set design, he implemented hallways. And the other thing I love was circles. A lot of circles above the characters. And like that goes hallway. back to the the baby, you know, the baby with the eye, the sort yeah. of all-seeing fate. <laughs> a yeah. in a jar. Exactly. <laughs> Apparently there was much more made of that early, which I, I think he Quarter. used it enough. It, 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 I'm so <laughs> glad that it wasn't like a major part of the plot. But the idea of the all-seeing eye. It did come back quite a bit, and then that all-seeing eye was also on Stanton's uh, mask uh, whenever yes. he would do the show, so it kind of yes. had that similar third-seeing eye. Yeah, um, it would be above elevators, like just the, a the Pinkerton's little, logo. Know. Yeah, exactly that. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's interesting that you pointed that out. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess it's true that a lot of film noirs, or what we think of as film noirs, like you know, they were filmed from you know, sort of the '46 through the maybe '58, somewhere in there, in in the 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 real uh, alleyway, if you will, of the uh, post-war years, right? But it's funny because. A lot of the, uh, a lot of the seminal film noirs kind of came out of books that were written in the '30s. You know, if it, all the James M. Cain stuff. Uh, Such a Hammett, good point. Uh, which is you know '20s and '30s. I totally Raymond see where you're going with this. This is the same deal with this source material. It, and exactly. Well, and and then even you get Maltese Falcon, which is '41, uh, or the classic Maltese Falcon is '41 anyway. And then you know, Big Sleep is '39, I think. And it's like you know, so there there is a little bit of that. What, what do you call it? Like the 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 plateau of the depression, or, or the mm-hmm. deepest valley of the depression there. And and you know, like like the drifters, all those kinds of things. I just want to point out, Big Sleep is the first the first year you mentioned, nineteen forty six, is mm-hmm. Big Sleep's year. That's why I keyed in on when you mentioned that because that's the Big Sleep year. And then Maltese Falcon is a little bit before that. But you're you're absolutely yeah, right in the in the yeah. timing. You're absolutely right. It's also sort of just about the those very tumultuous years between I don't know what you know like people who were sort of uh, little kids during Prohibition 
you know, uh, young adults during the Depression and adults uh, during the war were, you know, going through a lot of lot of shit, and uh, it, it it shaped a lot of their their outlook on things, which is why you get some of that maybe uh, you know the the more cynical stuff in it. Despite the fact that, like you're right, like you know, part of the thing is like, oh, the, every criminal has to be caught or you know. Uh, brought to justice with the Hayes Code and everything, and so there's there's always sort of a happy ending. Um, Not even here, though, even though sometimes they're with uh, a happy ending with uh, with a caveat. And I mean, yeah, and and in this one, I guess what they were they were excited about being able to do the unhappy ending. I mean, like the story's that, a loop. <laughs> That's the one thing that he kept saying in interviews. It's a kind loop. of, but I. It, in the original, it, it's a loop. I, I in this one, like it, it doesn't really do that. And it's funny. I like um, definitely uh, have to give it up for Del Toro's production design in every oh. single one of his movies. It's just, oh my god, you know, it's it's mind blowing. Yeah, I mean that that office you're talking about and everything else. Like you know, he is certainly the master of, of making these sets and making things look insane and beautiful. And all of those curio objects that most likely came from his own collection, his own house, you know, all those pickled <laughs> fetuses and yeah. all those things. That's been think, confirmed. Yeah. It's I been think confirmed I, that the people, those belong to him. Yeah. I knew it. Yeah. From the personal collection of Guillermo <laughs> del Toro. He has an entire house dedicated to the collection he has like separate yeah. house. Yeah. This is what I hear. And I find it interesting, this idea of, creators with their own my i have a friend he teaches yoga and he he told me about if you walk past david lynch's house there's two houses there's the house that is a house and i think his wife is mostly in most of the time and then across the way there's this house with like a red garage with like a symbol and that's where he did his like weather recordings during the pandemic (laughs) and that's like his studio apparently he just sleeps there so i just i love this idea of like there's your house and then there's your like creation house and it that's sounds like del toro yeah. right yeah that's the, exactly that's the black yeah. lodge the uh, black lodge yeah del toro <laughs> has his own black lodge it's it's just horror history and i think it even toured like a museum exhibition went around city to city at one point yeah exactly beautiful blue skies and golden sunshine all along the way everyone have a great day. There is something, there is a quote I found. Um, I read this great coffee table book about um, the history of horror not too long ago. It was like an old Christmas present. I was like, I just need to actually read the whole thing. Uh, it's edited by Stephen Jones. And there's this quote about um, uh, the culture of horror in the USA has always almost as has always had almost as much to do with carnival style promotional gimmicks as mm. with the films themselves. Uh, he lists not quite respectable a guilty pleasure, a mm-hmm. glimpse of another world where transgressive things can happen, and let's face it, often a bit tacky. Uh, the, it's a great little quote that just, I wanted to, I actually screenshotted it. I was like, I got to bring this up to the guys. Uh, and also, it's a really good book, The Art of Horror Movies. It has a bunch of posters. It's really cool. I know, Brian, that's, that's cool. very up here. You, I think you'd really especially dig it. Um, uh, <laughs> great coffee table book. But um, yeah, and then it brought, so it brings to mind Todd Browning's um, uh, Freaks. Freaks. Mm-hmm. Which there right. is, at the end, you might have noticed a little Carnival Barker sort of standing. It, it, when he comes back, there is a character very similar to Freaks. The poster is up in the office. The dog and, boy? I Not the dog boy. There's a character oh. that looks with like a sort of a very, very tiny... Uh, a demure character with a large head and that is apparently an echo of a character from um, freaks and then it got me looking into uh, the history of like 
horror and movies and carnival. Um, there aren't as many, but it's surprisingly kind of everywhere. So there's like Circus of Horrors, this 1960 British film that's an AIP, uh, you know, Corman film. And then there's a 1970 film called Nightmare Circus. Uh, Alan Rudolph directed that. Really sure. great, underrated director. Worked a lot with Altman. Uh, and then I would argue Elephant Man kind of falls into oh, this category. Uh, like, sure, yeah, oddity, yeah. Because Merrick is like a geek in many ways. And then like I feel like the 90s, there's all this dangerous circus imagery, especially in like, like dinosaurs were back. Right. Or like the hunchback of Notre Dame. And then even like Princess and the Frog later with Mardi Gras. Like there's all this weird haunted imagery circus stuff. Carnival, scary, something wicked this way comes, Bradbury. It's been in the American like pot, like boiling for so long. So like I'm surprised there aren't more films like Nightmare Alley. Uh, I love it also that it isn't just that. Eventually, it's also just like Chicago, the you know the mansion. It's I, I love the film. I, I I'm such a big fan. <laughs> Couldn't tell, yeah. Um, <laughs> I am not an animal. It's funny, yeah, because like it definitely, uh, you know, both movies, both the '47 movie and and this one, the the 2021 version, like have this. You know, very strong theme of uh, this, um, you know, e- easy virtue where you can be cleansed of your sins. It's it's the uh, drive-through car wash for the soul, and it's you know you could just uh, everyone you know looking for for those kinds of answers and you know finding them in, in different places, whether that be uh, through a mentalist act in a in a sideshow carnival on a dusty old road, or uh, you know in a fancy New York place, or in you know, uh, Kate Blanchett's uh, gold adorned office. Uh, you know, everyone's like able to uh, try and get those things. Are uh, everyone's seeking those uh, quick answers uh, and and things that they can unpack? I mean, just think about how like funny and impatient um, Richard Jenkins is, the Ezra, yeah. Ezra Grindel character in this one. Scary. I paid you, goddammit, I paid you! And it's like, okay, buddy. like Scary dude. Yeah. It's funny because like in, in this one, yeah, like it, they made him a lot more scary. Also, they gave him more more backstory of, of beating women, right? Like that was also yeah. part of the horror around him. Yeah, because like in, in the 47 version, you know, he has a lot of guilt around this woman who died, but we don't know why exactly... At least not, not that I can recall. This one uh, was a botched abortion that he forced this person to get. Right. Which yeah. is something they probably wouldn't be talking about in 47. <laughs> right. So, you know, this guy is, is painted as a lot more brutal, a lot maybe less sympathetic. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, that scene in particular, like, drove me crazy because it was like, it, it, it was something that, it was a quality about this Stan Carlyle in the, the 2021 version that seemed to be lacking for me, which is like in the 47 version. He's he's good at what he does. He he's good at gaining people's confidence, and he's he's very wise. Uh, and like you know, he he can see all the little angles that everyone's trying to work. He works that sheriff early on. You know, he he's able to like you know work the crowd and all these other things. And in the forty-seven version, if you'll recall, he was like having Grindel eating out of his hand, right? In this one, he's like barely hanging on to this con, and like the guy's like you know like just, you know barking at him, whatever, and he he can't find a way to, you know, judo move him into his confidence, and he's like, okay, quickly, we have to do it, we have to do it, we have to do this now, 
And that's what sort of propels him to do the, you know, dressing up, uh, what's her name, uh, Rooney Mara, mm-hmm. to look like this dead person. As opposed to this being like the culmination of his con, and he's just on the edge of pulling it off, and it all falls apart. You know, but I kind of, I kind of liked how they did that because he still did, uh, he still did take the the sheriff. Right, there was still that moment where he saved the entire carnival from getting shut down by taking the sheriff back and giving him the "you're this, you're that, I'm the mentalist, and I'm I'm, I'm looking at your past." They still did that, but then with this one, and I felt like this with the old movie that. The ending was a little hokey. The person was way too close. You'd be able to see it. And in this one, because he rushed it, he brought Rooney Mara too close. And then the whole thing went down because of that. Because Richard Jenkins felt, you know, rushed the ghost or what he thought was a ghost and then, you know, blew up the whole thing. And so I feel. But but that that is the mark getting one over on you. Not the other way around. Right, but the right, but that was leading up because, like you said, he was in a rush to do this one. Jenkins was not the easiest of going of marks in this instance. He needed to really work at this one, and he yeah. just couldn't figure it out. So he just kind of threw this idea at him, which, you know, failed miserably. Which right. I hear what it. you mean. I really am intrigued by your point, um, how, I mean, how Tyrone Power is so suave. And effortlessly uh, charming and, and mm-hmm. beguiling and able to win one over. And it does feel like Bradley Cooper is sort of building the parachute as he's thrown out of the <laughs> yeah. plane. He always has the stink of def- desperation about him when he's doing these cons. And I'm like, geez, like, how are you ever going to gain the confidence? I think there's a couple interesting things here at play. Uh, mm-hmm. One are just different styles of movies in different eras. Because like the leading man used to have all the quips used to you know know what to exactly to say at the right time you know uh even side characters would have like really generous patter mm-hmm. and in the modern era right i mean very faulty protagonists i mean the guy starts you know you see him like dragging a body i mean what yeah. he does to his father <laughs> awful that was the worst horrible <laughs> he's completely unsympathetic by the end right like completely, you can't yeah so there there is this like element of like what you wanted a blanket I, Fuck your blanket. Oh, man, I hated that scene so much. When he just leaves the window open. Oh, my God, man. It was That I, I, that makes it so much more, like, raw, nerved for me and for all the films nominated this year. Mm-hmm. Like, seeing something like that, that, like that's like a Tarkovsky. That is, like, cruel human behavior. That's, like, that's... not... You don't see that in, like, major mainstream American films these days. Mm-hmm. Um there's this other interesting thing. I just think it's a different way of like a, a, a approaching the protagonist, mm-hmm. right? Because yeah. in like the classic Hollywood studio system, they couldn't be wrong, right? Or if they were, they were maybe the anti-villain, maybe going to the 50s, 60s. Uh, oh, excuse me, the anti-hero, my, my mm-hmm. mistake, uh, you know, a bit edgy. But uh, for the most the part, they had to be like on the right side of, you know, on the right side of the road. Um, yeah. Also, Bradley Cooper's kind of a maniac. He learned how to fight for this role. Because yeah, the guy just a, just to make it look like he could fight, you know, yeah. there, he doesn't really fight like box or anything. So I don't feel like he's gonna like phone in. I feel like his days of like he does it once in a while. He'll do it for Eastwood. Like he popped up in the Mule as just like a random CIA dude. Like I feel like his days of like kind of phoning in a star performance, a leading performance. Not that he ever did that, but I, I just think it was different. Now he's you know Bradley Cooper auteur, right? So I feel like part of the roughness of this Stan Carlisle is Bradley Cooper beating the shit out of himself. You know what I mean? In a way, mm-hmm. you know? 
because uh, he, he he is very he's very committed. Uh, I mean, I say that with praise. He's incredibly committed to his performances. Yeah, yeah, and I wanted to go back to what you were saying, Jeremy. Like, I think some of the cons worked. I think they worked too well in some. Like the Kimballs, Judge Kimball and. Mrs. Kimball, uh-huh. Mary Steenburgen's character. Great cameo. Um, it it yeah. works. Yeah, that was yeah. great cameo. It worked so well for them that, that she believed wholeheartedly that once they passed on, they would see their deceased son and be with him again. And because of that, she decided to shoot her husband and then shoot herself in the eye. Well, she wanted to accelerate that, that timeline. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, but wouldn't that mean the con worked? Like the information yeah, that was yeah, given no, no. to them? D- totally. And and like, you know, he, he got her um, and seemed to get... Most uh, people in in that mentalist act that he was doing, right? Um, I, I guess you know it, it's a couple things. Like one, the movie's long, right? And, and it's about as long as I think the the original. But where the original starts is he's already a carny. He's already a part of this world. He already oh right knows some of the ropes and you know knows how to to con a little bit. So that when we see him step up to doing the the sheriff in the 47 version you know everyone can like kind of look around the corner and be like oh shit this guy is legit right because he's already been in that world and he knows what to do in this one he was still like you know learning how to tie a sheep shank or whatever he was a padwan he was was an apprentice yeah apprentice (laughs) carney yeah exactly and then all of a sudden you know he's just like he's he's all of a sudden the, the judo master of like getting these people to to, to follow him and yeah and uh it's like uh with 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 the sheriff example in particular so it's like you know we he he was a little too green to be doing that at that moment okay fine you know we fast forward in time presumably mm-hmm. he, he's gotten some more experience in that and and shown able to show that experience like when he like fakes out the lie detector machine for instance like like that was a good way to show that okay, he he kind of knows what he's doing, right? That's the last scene they shot, by the way, before COVID shut the. Ah, oh, interesting. Oh, really? There's this weird like list of films that have the a gap in the production schedule, oh. uh, and those are all coming out now. I think that's going to start ending soon. But yeah, that's yeah, this is one of them where that that was the last one filmed in uh, the before times, as it were. That, that's funny. I I wonder how much they had to shoot afterwards. I wonder. I wonder I if it was like be- a because Card Counter had one day of production that they needed to do last. Oh, yeah, yeah. So Paul Schrader would, was always on Facebook, like just one day. <laughs> I just need <laughs> one more day that my movie's done. So right, right. <laughs> yeah, there was a life extinguished with it, and it. it, it oh, I was a child. I was a baby. You forced her to miscarry, did you not? So the lie detector scene. You know, it okay, he shows that he's he's gotten a little more wise, right? Yeah. Kind of. Because sometimes he plays it like he, he knows the game and he's in on the joke and he knows how to like manipulate these moments. And sometimes he doesn't. And it's it's not clear sort of what causes those things. I mean, perhaps with the final Grindle thing like uh I've given you a fortune like that moment. Perhaps that's like you know maybe he's uh, getting intimidated a little bit. This is uh, that's what I felt. Uh, he's in the major leagues now or whatever. Mm-hmm. But um, I guess what the, what I'm what I'm getting at is like at no point did you feel like he was going to fucking pull it off. And, oh and, no! And and maybe that quality no. is not super important in this movie. Um, but I think you know even though overall you could sense that uh, you know 
Stan Carlyle's plans in the 47 version, you know, are just are, are eventually going to slide off the rails. You didn't think this was going to be the moment, right? Uh, like, you could have seen an avenue where he pulled it off in the 47 one. In this one, like, <laughs> there was no fucking way this is happening. No. E- even if uh, Grindel got on his knees and prayed and, and didn't go to, you know, touch her or whatever. Like, even if she was able to walk away through the mist, you know, th- the the guy... Uh, you know his his bodyguard guy and Holt McElhaney McEl- uh, yeah. from Fight Club. Yeah, yeah. His name is Robert Paulson. Oh, great! I did not put that together. Right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Right. Good shout. Yeah. Um, and, and Holt, Holt uh, McElhaney, I think his name is. Yeah. Yeah, Holt. That's a, that's a what a great name, man! Yeah. I but wish I, know, I, I wish my name was Holt. I should have named my kid Holt. What am I yeah. thinking? I, well, I had all control. You, you blew it. I mean, well, you can go change it. I mean, I, I think they yeah. give you a certain amount of time, right? He doesn't even know what his name yeah, is. Yeah, he doesn't know what his name is. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> There's a certain amount of time. There's you, like 18 years that you yeah. can change things. Yeah. You, you just tell him his name's Holt. He won't <laughs> yeah. know the difference. He could be whatever. He's now Hiram. <laughs> yeah. Hiram Holt. <laughs> Hiram um, Holt sounds like a great villain in like an 80s. Yeah, character. maybe an anti-villain. <laughs> an anti-villain, exactly. <laughs> what you're saying is... So true to... Okay, so one thing that Del Toro banged home is that noir is like Catholicism, which I thought was a very interesting point. Sure. The idea that, like, the game is rigged. And because, uh, yeah. you know, for anyone who grows up Catholic, the, the idea of original sin is just kind of there, you know? We're already screwed. It's about proving that we're not these horrible creatures that live in sin, quote-unquote, right? And then the idea of noir that, like, the systems are against you. The game is rigged. There is a shared dimension between noir and Catholicism that he draws on, and ha- it has like made very clear in interviews. And it also mentions Jungian connections. Like, uh, there's a lot going on in I think his decision to have Stan Carlyle. Not only you know does it reflect the book, but it is such a horrible ending, right? Like ending up back, you know. You the know. tales from the crypt ending the comeuppance no it is a vi- you know what you're ab- you're actually right there is a yeah. very tales from the crypt this could have been a half an hour episode sure certainly yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's like a two hour plus just but, call uh, it the geek it's right? almost three hours yeah, yeah. right yeah. right you're absolutely right um and what i think what i meant by circular isn't it isn't exactly circular in that like mm-hmm. the person dragging the corpse isn't the geek but the idea that when he does that he then goes into the streets and seeks just like a random job, like being back at that point again, but arguably lower because you're not even seen as a human being. And now, and now drinking, because that was right. the new thing, right? He didn't, he didn't like alcohol oh, in this. That yeah. couldn't stand. Yeah, yeah, right. And right. one take. That that last uh, scene was one take. That was uh, the the laughing. They did it in one take. They were prepared to shoot all day. Which, but which one? The, the like I was born for it. When he the, had the Jumanji yeah. beard, that thing? That was it. <laughs> it is a Jumanji beard. <laughs> um, I, I, I was born for it is a little bit different than the original when he said I was I was made for it. So this kind of, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I don't know, I guess says that this is kind of his fate. It was always his fate to become the geek. Um, and it kind of just changes the meaning totally, in my opinion, of, of that last line. And it kind of yeah. gives it a little bit more weight. I agree. And it goes to the baby, you know, it, it ties in a bow into the imagery, you know, it's uh, yep. Yep. What, what was the, 
Willem Dafoe's backstory uh, that was possibly made up on the baby? What was it? Oh, that it killed. So it was. It had an enlarged head, and when the babe, when the mother was giving birth to the baby, it killed the mother at birth, and right. it was a still a stillborn baby, yeah. but it also killed the mother. So it was like a cursed, cursed pickled fetus is really what it was uh-huh. that he cut. That he he used it as a good luck charm. But then he all of a sudden you find out that he hawked it to Tim Blake Nelson at the end to try to get five <laughs> bucks or whatever, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. right. Uh, you know, when the chips are down, the you know everything's for sale, even Quato. But I, I guess um, Quaid. <laughs> Open your mind. Yeah, I. I I guess the the, the Quanto thing, like, uh, I, I, it was it was a little lost on me. But um, yeah, you, you know what it is? It's like because the Stan Carlisle here like wasn't charming. Like, it's like okay, he was able to fool the sort of Mary Steen virgins of the world who were already just like hopelessly insane. Anybody else who wasn't completely, you know, batshit delusional like she was. Uh, wasn't fooled by him. Like, no, none of his friends were charmed by him. Like, you know, Molly didn't give a shit about him. Like, she wasn't charmed, charmed by him. What, like, think about the scene when all the friends came over. Yeah. When they got the tarot reading and when all they got, that. When they got the, yeah, exactly. They got the tarot reading. They didn't buy him. They didn't buy his uh, BS, as it were. In the other one, like, he had to, like, brush them off because it was like, oh, I, I'm too good for you guys now, right? Right. But in this one, they were brushing him off. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Right? And it's like he, he, like he couldn't even charm his friends. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, <laughs> like that's the part that like kind of drives me crazy in this one because it's like, you know, at least there was this like uh, faint glimmer of hope you could see that this guy could pull this shit off in the 47 one. In this one, like not even close, man. Like he he was just the guy schlepping tent poles. Uh, you know what I mean? The whole time, and, like you know, he started off. As that you know, railroad hopping bum, and he became the railroad hopping bum, like or stayed that the entire time. I mean, perhaps this is because you know he kills his father and burns the house down, and from that moment on, he's you know just like completely damned. But it's like a slow motion death or whatever. Woof. And and perhaps that that's kind of what they're going for. But like his ability to make the rise or whatever and, and make it seem plausible, like to me, I, I was like never buying it. It was it was weird. Like I. I didn't even have that like sort of suspense that ooh maybe he can pull this one off. <laughs> like, I'd argue that there's almost too much film. It's that phrase, you know, mm-hmm. giving you enough rope, you know, et cetera, et cetera. You hang yourself. I mean, the film is a bit bloated. It's a bit overstuffed. So perhaps mm-hmm. with some editing, it might have been a bit more convincing if it, but, you know. But where do you edit though? And I and I think that I this know. is more of a per, this is more know. of a direction and performance thing that Jeremy is referring to. And you know, this well, movie it, was like elongated thing, by guess, quite yeah. a bit with this with a ton of new backstory, right? That we've never yeah. gotten before, mostly with Carlisle, Stanton Carlisle. Um, but yeah, I think that this is more of a performance thing, right, Jeremy, what, you, what you're talking about. This is be no, more of... No, not, not performance necessarily. I, it, it's like, it, it's it's a story thing. It, it's writing. It's like, you know, mm. you know, it's not a matter of like, if if he came off more charming or less charming, it's like, you know, did they, were they able to give him enough of these characteristics, the Stan and Carlisle character that I mean, were they, if they were able to give Stan more uh, of those charming characteristics, 
you'd then be able to buy that he'd, he'd be able to like you know have this influence over people I see uh, what you're saying. You obviously also don't find it. Bradley Cooper as handsome as I do. Because <laughs> that dude could tell me to do anything, yeah. and I'll do it. I yeah. didn't find him as handsome as Tyrone Power, that's for sure. Tyrone Power is a good-looking guy. Yeah. <laughs> I do see what you mean, especially because the only time you really do see that implemented, surprisingly, too, is the sheriff sequence. Um, right, well, I, which I, also I, made it kind of feel out of, out of, out of place. You're, you're right. Sorry, go ahead. No, no. I mean, I just I do feel like, though, because he isn't that effortlessly charming it speaks to the fact that he is even more of a con man you know he learned scraping this from by a, yeah, yeah yeah he learned this Finding from a the book con. yeah literally a guy he accidentally poisoned uh steals his book uh, you know gets you know <laughs> oh, a hand job yeah, from his oh. wife and so he guy. does accidentally <laughs> sorry I, I i do want to bring that up he does accidentally kill him or he murders uh pete i think it's an accident i really because he they he asked about it earlier, which to me, in like you know, not to I mean, in cinema language, that to me means if he's asking about it, he's Reminder. confused about it. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. It, it's, it does seem like an earnest mistake. Also, right. because he just went through all that shit with his dad. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know if he wants to like revisit doing that. I don't. You know. Right, right. Oh, that's that's okay. He did do it though, so he's capable of it. And he know? killed the geek, right? He he killed he slowly killed the geek. He beat the hell out of the he beat the hell out of it, and he slowly was. Then they had to drop him off at some random hospital, right? Because the oh, guy was slowly right. dying. Right, right. Yeah, right, they had to right, right. run, drop him off at the emergency room and run away. He no, blasted yeah, that guy a couple times, man. He he just beat him to beat him to death. Did we literally. see if his nose came off or not, dude? D- Del Toro likes to remove eyes and noses and. Holt McCallany's entire head in a in a car wreck like that was just <laughs> disgusting. But it was disgusting. It was show also, me, I love it. Yeah, give me more gore, baby. It was also disgusting <laughs> when they was pulling the bone shard out of his knuckle. Oh, it, that was awesome. It reminded me so much of uh, his uh, creature from the Black Lagoon movie where Agent Van Alden like just pulls his rotting finger off. I was, oh, disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was like okay. Well, Del, Del Toro just can't hold, help himself, and yeah. <laughs> just let, let's just remember, Shape of Water won Best Picture. Just, it, it's it one did. of the strangest. I, things. I love Shape of Water. Oh, I, I love it too. It. I just yeah. don't associate. Let's remember it with... that Crash and Green Book won Best Picture. Exactly, um, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, it's 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 right next to Crash and Green Book. It's like it's just as bizarre to me of, yes. an op, of a choice, but I, I love right. that movie. So. Come on, you gonna wait? Answer questions? No, they'll take them. They'll care for them. Put them under the rain. I said leave them be. Can't leave them in the rain. Don't pretend you give a shit with me. You hungry? I'm starving. Come on. Steak and eggs on me. I like that he's unlikable because it makes it easier to see what a shitbag he is. Um, I guess it's like, you know... Even though my mom still thinks the ending is sad... Because uh, this is the mm-hmm. one she saw. She hadn't seen the original one. She mm-hmm. saw this one. She's like, that was a really sad movie. And we, I, I mm-hmm. finally you know, watched it, and she was over here, and she saw the ending, and she goes, wasn't that sad? And I'm like, dude got what he deserved. I'm not too <laughs> sad about it. I'm actually, I was doing one of these at the end. I'm like, good, he's the geek. The only thing I was upset about is I wanted to see him as the geek uh, for a little bit like they do with, with um, the original movie. 
mm-hmm. um, you know, and the geek actually escapes, and then Electra kind of comes back and gives him a little bit of hope. And if you remember that, right. she like kind of comforts him at the end, which we don't get that I in mean, this one. Y- you took that as hope. I I took it as like this like contrast of like look how fucked up he is, and, and look how her, her life turned out. And this is in the forty seven version. Uh, again, in the forty seven version, I, I I hate to do this comparison, and, and it's funny because it's like, you know, again, um, you know, comparing the remake to the original uh you know it's not necessarily very productive but i it is in the sense that in this case the original got a lot of things right that they changed and and sort of made more complicated or unnecessarily uh difficult in in the in the new version and what i mean by that is like that uh okay so he's very unlikable not just to the audience, but also to all the characters around him. I mean, for some reason, Willem Dafoe kind of uh, buddies up to him. David Strathairn buddies up to him. But he's a scumbag, him. too. He's the one that makes geeks. <laughs> he poisons <laughs> yeah, I mean, people to make... He, or he, I mean, I'm sorry, he drugs them with opium to yes. get them hooked. And the, yeah, he's a scumbag, I, too. I, I wasn't uh, saying that he wasn't a scumbag. But oh, like okay, the, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm saying I'm, that's why they would get along, though. I right? see. Yeah. Right, 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 right. Yeah, they, they uh, game recognized game on that one. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> but you know how uh, Tyrone Power like charms the pants off of uh, sort of three women in that one. Uh, in, in this one, you know, Tony Collette gives him a hand job for no reason. Uh, she doesn't seem to be charmed by him in any way, but uh, just once sexually. Yeah, and I don't think that's the first time that's happened. I'm yeah. just kidding. Oh, yeah. I feel she, like she just, a young man the, in the circus when that yeah. comes around. I feel like right. there might have been other instances of that character. But she did say that Pete Pete treated her bad and made her cry. Felt made her feel bad. Right? She was he telling wasn't him a great dude. Which, which yeah. is like, which is what I mean. Was she lying? Because like Pete was right, the yeah. sweetest fucking guy in this one. Yeah, in, he was in, so cool. In in the previous version, like he was a he was a total asshole, and he was an alcoholic, and he was he was it was it was a you know kind of sympathetic in that way because he was just this broken down old man. But he was also a, a jerk all the time. In this one, he's super fucking sweet every time you see him. Like yeah, and he, he actually is okay teaching some of his secret code. Yeah, he doesn't give a he, shit about know, the code. It's not a, put, it's put not your, worth put your finger gold, here and know? put your put your nose here. And then he was making like cigarettes appear out of nowhere. I was yeah. like, damn, I love this guy. I love magic you know, so funny, much. In it's funny that you say that though. Like weirdly, the drinking stuff can make me imagine he could be like a real monster when they're all alone. And yeah, uh, perhaps the, perhaps. the niceness I mean, is all very... I'm saying is that, that like like. Her perception of it versus what we were shown is right. completely different. Yeah, we didn't see any of that violence against her or any of that like at home stuff between them. Those two, no, it, it was yeah, always yeah. with Bradley Cooper mm-hmm. there, right? Yeah, I mean, so it, it it kind of read to me as like maybe she was playing him just the same way she had the upper hand while he was in the tub there. Um, same way as Kate Blanchett playing him later. I yeah, like no, totally. I like that though. There isn't like a scene where we see him being like a total asshole because it does complicate things a little bit because i feel like that's what the old one did so uh it's strathairn's character Uh uh-huh yeah Um, pete yeah yeah because it it makes it so easy to be like oh well he's dead oh well you know with this one it's like oh that's kind of awful because he what he did take (laughs) you under his wing in a way Um, yeah but i mean in in both versions he doesn't seem to poison him on purpose i mean like I, i know it's a little ambiguous but yeah it it doesn't seem like he, he would poison a person. Now, in the 47 version, it almost seems like he did because he's yes. hyper ambitious. In 
in the 21 version, it's like, you know, he's just kind of drifting along. He's a, he's a drifter as he drifts into the circus and just kind of floats along in the lazy river of, you know, conning people and sees what he can get away with. Wouldn't there be an interesting angle to the film where Stan Carlisle did it on purpose both times, but the way right. that the story interpreted it, it like it, the way that the, that the narrative interprets it is that yeah. it isn't. Like I find that I find that kind of stuff very interesting. Like when characters like live outside of their creators. I mean, hey, there maybe is an argument that he did do it on purpose. I don't think he did, but mm-hmm. I, I love that thought experiment that he knows that he did it on purpose. But what we're shown and what he says is that he didn't. That's I just love talking movies, and everyone's got their own version of it. That's just great. <laughs> That's what makes movies so fucking awesome. Totally. Oh, totally. Yeah. And I, you know, I. I uh, I really wanted to like this movie. I everyone seemed to like it around me. I mean, we you, we should have brought my brother on uh, again. Like he oh he, he liked it, loved it. He loved. Oh it. wait a second, yeah. let's let's so back I, up a second. Yeah, okay, get the wrong Floyd brother on here. Like <laughs> let's get Michael on instead. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I, it, it did. I did. It wasn't working for me. Um, Were I, you surprised I, that it got a Best Picture nomination? Hmm. I don't. I, I don't know because like D- D- Del Toro is like a is a an Academy darling at this point a little bit. Yes, gotcha. You know he's got this incredible cast. Uh, it has you know amazing production, amazing production, amazing pro- uh, production design. You know, sort of like a, a lot of the things that the Academy tends to go for. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe people playing a little against type. I mean. You know, Kate Blanchett uh, playing an absolute monster is is uh, really interesting. I mean, you know, she plays all kinds of things, I guess. But you it know, took it, me it, time. it was Excellent. exciting seeing her play oh, yeah. someone so like, you know, she just outwardly evil. I don't know what her motive is. That's one of my problems with the film. She does feel like she's in a bit in a, in, in a different film, and I oh, besides yeah. just besides just out of interests of like money you know why is she doing this yeah. that's is this like, just to screw stanton and she found this well, mentalist that she kept it's you know, a very he was her mark. It, it's a lot of effort on her part to do yeah, absolutely this. yeah yeah it's yeah. a so, long con right what she has is a she... long con. but, but yeah. okay in, in in the original like like things fall apart and she's like oh i need to pull my parachute here my parachute i've always had it which is uh i'll, I'll give you some singles You'll you'll run away, hopefully thinking you got it, get far enough away where you can't get me. And even Not if here. you do, yeah. I've got an excuse. Um, in this one, <laughs> she she like pulls the rug on him for no reason. Gets into a position where it looks like she's going to die. She she has the it's like detour. She's got the like phone cord around her neck. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh yeah. And yeah. is about to go out. Uh, and. The, the police show up within five seconds. Uh, they're, they're actually waiting in the waiting room, uh, which is interesting. And, you know, she, she pulls the rug on him and does this thing, but it, it's like, it's like what, wait, what, so she just did it for the 100000 or just to fuck with him? But, like, there was also something where it felt like, what, she wanted, like, the violence from him? She, she wanted to, like, to, to get down to it because, like, she's very cagey about why it is she has an entire torso length scar like she's had an autopsy done uh on her did she ever explain what that was uh yeah she did she said life the thing you need to know is if you displease the right people 
The world closes in on you very, very fast. What happened to you? Life. Life happened to me. Oh, okay. So she didn't explain what that was then. Yeah. That was it, yeah. Was yeah. It. <laughs> but but it's like, okay, so like, what are we supposed to get out of that? That maybe... I, I don't know what she she likes to tempt fate to feel alive or something. I don't know. But, um, mm. you know, there was something where she was playing some sort of game with him that because he's kind of uh, he's not wise in this one. He he's a mark in this one because he's a mark in this one. It's like, you know, he, he doesn't realize he's getting played. Whereas like the last one, like it kind of made sense why all this happened is because, well, Things fell apart, and she had an exit strategy, and he didn't, right? And in this one, she was just playing him, but not really for a reason. Like, she didn't want him to do the the stand, uh, the um, the uh, Grindel con. I, th- I read that as reverse psychology. Uh-huh, yeah. yeah she maybe. was just, no, 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 don't, don't do that. And it just kind of empowered right. him and, and fueled the flames of the con man. Right, right, right. That's, true. That's how I saw it too, by making his recordings so accessible. Yeah. You give me something on that judge, any of the other higher ups, I'll make it worth your while. All right. I'll give you something in exchange for the truth. Truth about what? Yourself. I give you a little information and you tell me the truth. I can tell you that Jennifer Lawrence and Lady Gaga, uh, one of them, either of them, were at one point considered for the Rooney Mara part. Really? Huh. Yeah, yeah. Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio and Lady Gaga doing mentalist acts. <laughs> that's that's the other version of this movie in an alternate yeah. universe. In an alternate universe, and you know, hey, maybe that one would have been a box office smash, unlike this right. one. Right? Yeah. Which unfortunately, this one didn't uh, do well. No, did did the the opposite of well. I would, say, yeah. <laughs> I would say to the point where Martin Scorsese uh, pleaded with people to go. He took out an open letter in the LA Times basically saying, please go see this movie. It's great. So Wow. It came out at a like, See, Jeremy, you don't know what's up, man. Yeah. Martin, Martin Scorsese liked this movie. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I, I mean, he saw something I didn't, I guess. Yeah. I did not see this and think slam dunk. No. I liked it mm-hmm. when I it's walked remake, out of yeah. it. But it has grown on me, and uh, upon rewatch, uh, it's it's grown on. It, it's a sleeper for me. It, mm. uh, it was so I walked out of it being being a bit underwhelmed, to be completely honest. Um, yeah. But it took over time. I've really glommed on to just the weirdness of this and the fact that this doesn't <laughs> happen very often. You know, I'm the complete opposite. I, it, it it had me from the beginning. Cool. It pulled me in both visually everything like it just kind of came together i really like bradley cooper in this i i'm, I'm yeah. surprised you didn't jeremy no no it, it, um, hold on we're, we're, just just to clarify on that i it's not that i don't like bradley cooper i and, no, no, and, in, this, and like, in this like he's good you know he plays the oki really well he he, he you know plays the yeah. like the the hope campfire hobo version of him really well um and and he plays the early very desperate guy very well he you know the the part where he's like being psychoanalyzed and his you know his eyes are tearing up and he just can't quite hold that thing back. I mean he he's, he has a great performance in this. All, all I'm saying is that like the way his character is is written and and mm-hmm. um, presented, it is in a in a way that like doesn't 
allow me to suspend the disbelief that he can get to this level of success, uh, you know, in doing the show in New York and like, or, or that maybe he could like possibly pull it off. And, 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 and because I'm not invested in, in him being able to pull this thing off, I'm like, well, like, you know, like he, like I, like it, it is a, um, it's, it's, it's like this form of dramatic irony where I, I'm aware that everything he's doing is, is, is destined for failure, but he's not aware of it. Um, and I find it less interesting than if I'm sort of like somehow believing his con that he can pull this thing off, but he can't. You and, might have liked it more with Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah. That is Catch Me If <laughs> well, You Can. Know, that is literally Catch Me If You Can in a nutshell. Is the, the charm <laughs> of him pulling off these cons. Okay, but... He'd, but, be, but, fa- he'd be Fodge and Checks in this one, though. <laughs> Fodge and Checks. Yeah. <laughs> we, we got a, a check hanger or whatever it's called. But yeah. like in Catch Me If You Can, he's super charming. Now, he, he you can see him like building the plane in the air sometimes of like, you know, how he's going to like figure this out. But he always has like a judo move to like pull on people. Like the the really um, streetwise uh, high priced escort that um, Jennifer, <laughs> Jennifer Garner, Garner plays, you know he he finds a way to turn that on her, and you know it's like the, <laughs> the whole thing. Like he's he's doing that every single time. Like when the FBI come in to like bust him in Florida, wherever that was, like he like he's like, he flips it on him. He's like, no no no, we're from ATF or whatever. I, I'm I've I've got this guy. See him? He's right out there. Right? He, he's got <laughs> all of the. <laughs> He's got all the all, all the moves, uh, and and he's convincing in that. Um, and so you're, I don't know what, like more invested in in him being able to pull it off. In this one, like at no point do you think he's ever going to be able to pull it off. And 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 because of that, I, I'm feeling like, you know, it's, um, it, you know, I I'm, I'm watching everything with this ironic remove as opposed to being sort of invested in the story. No, I hear you, but I, it also. It, Correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like one of the critiques you have is Bradley Cooper is charming because the plot says so versus it yeah. actually working as like spellbinding on me and audience. Yeah. Member, right. It's like, no, no, and I, I get what you absolutely. mean. I mean, like, like think about like Rooney Morrow's character, for instance, like, okay, like the, the Molly character killed me. Like in, in the, in the 47 version, she was like hopelessly in love with him. And, and like, and when she ran out of options to convince him otherwise not to do this thing, she was going to run away and he charmed the pants off her to stay for the the one one final job or whatever, right? Um, in, in this one, she hated him the whole time. It was crazy. It was <laughs> it was like wait, how did you convince her to, to, to do this thing? Person. Yeah, but, but but even like convincing her to, to do Grindel's long dead mistress or whatever, like it it almost didn't make sense in this one because she hated him and because she wasn't charmed by him or like or you know felt compelled to do as he bids you know what i mean it seemed like an economic thing with her that was my reading perhaps like, yeah yeah but 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 then she had no problem running away and never seen him again now it, maybe it was like you know it was it was a very different line he crossed uh, after killing two guys i mean hey but, i think that's why i mean the minute you start to investigate her a lot of people i mean not to get serious but like a lot of people stay in abusive relationships because they sure, don't have sure. other places to go so like sure. you and ask especially why did in she stay 1939 or whatever this is supposed to take place oh, you're, you're even more right that's yeah. that's even, right. yeah so like no, I, I think that she just saw a bit of a goose egg and as bad as it was you know mm-hmm. i i get it but like but like but but that is like that would have been really interesting and i wish they had explored that but like that's not how it was presented it was just like it was almost presented like well she did it cuz you know she 
loves him and cares for him and, and believes in his project or whatever. Uh, you know, kind of. Although it, it wasn't really that. Well, to me, it felt like she, the rot of doing it, I think, got to her, too. Um, I might be yeah, wrong absolutely. in reading that, but I feel like she does have a modicum of decency. Well, t- totally. And, and and Molly, the Molly character had that in the, the first one as well. And, and she didn't want to do all that stuff because, you know, of, you know her, her morality said so, right? Like, that... that this is the line. I, I'm fine doing it as a show. I'm fine doing it in, in the, the carnival atmosphere or the nightclub. But this is this is over the line. Did you read the thing about how uh, Del Toro's dad was kidnapped? In 19- yeah. Insane. Yeah. Uh, yeah so- and then Psychic showed up to tell his mother where his father was. And that's kind of the same kind of parlor tricks that were being pulled here. Yeah. The idea of exploiting vulnerable people. Yeah. Uh, he was warned, beware when the psychics show up. And sure enough, he had to like kick them out of the house because, sure. yeah, in Mexico, they would just like, I mean, I think this is just anywhere, but like psychics sort of like exploit, but like particularly at this time where he was from, psychics would show up basically guaranteeing knowing where the father was. And that same sort of, the, just the grossness of that trickery, yeah. the yeah. desperation that people will pay as you yeah. see with uh, what's his name's character, um, uh, you will pay lots of. Or, oh, the Grindel, yeah. Uh, yeah, you see. I you paid know, you a fortune, Jenkins. <laughs> that's his name. Yeah. Uh, Richard, Richard Jenkins, Jenkins. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, and Richard Jenkins is is amazing in this, by the way. But, but sorry, horrifying. Right. He's no, no. As, just, just, as always, yeah, as always, yeah, yeah. Uh, people will go to you know, uh, will people will profit off of these uh, tragedies, and uh, yeah. he had yeah. a, this personal tie, and you know, it is a very good story to connect to the film i just yeah. it's 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 so horrible that he went through that i mean getting your father kidnapped and then having someone say i know what happened and then having to tell like tell him to yeah fuck off, no I, I mean it's terrible and and, I, and it sucks that that happened to him and, and and it's it's wild that like that you know ended up in in the movie uh in a way it felt like if it was plausible that he was able to pull some of this off uh you you could be in, invested in it and then you know it's more of a tragedy when it all kind of falls apart, you know, and it, everyone's trying to grab that old brass ring and, uh, you know, they fuck it up every time in, in, in these types of movies. It sounds like you prefer, prefer the, the, the forties, the Tyrone, uh, power. And, and, and maybe that's the thing is like, like, I remember when we were watching those movies, like that was my favorite of those. And I, I, I do I remember really, that. really yeah. liked, uh, the, the 47 version. And I was really surprised how much I liked it. So maybe that plays into it too. I mean, obviously it does. I mean, I, I keep comparing it. Um, yeah, I just like uh, I found myself like disinvesting a little bit. Say so maybe you can hawk for me. You know, work the audience. We got a little mind reading show. What would I have to do? Nah, ain't nothing to it. Carney speaks like a song. <laughs> Sounds southern to southerners and western to westerners. You got a sweet little lilt. Just gotta lean on it talk of the soil you draw slow but all the while you're hustling fast I, i've got one last bone to pick uh with mr del toro which is that uh i i felt like every single camera angle in this was about five degrees off the place where i wanted to be wow every single time every single time i was gonna talk about how much i loved the cinematography of this I mean, movie th- no it was gorgeous but i it's it's like the the angle you wanted to be f- for this moment and that moment and like uh, where we see th- the geek for the first time or um, when we realize the 
like the whole con is falling apart for uh, for the Grindle thing. Like we're just like just to the side of where one would want it to be. And it reminds me of like when people used to shoot on film. And, and what would happen is like, you know, they'd set up the camera. The DP would be or the operator would be would be looking through the, the eyepiece. And the director, you know, might be standing right off to the side of that and seeing a totally different performance five degrees to the left or right uh, or, you know, the top or bottom. And then then you'd be seeing on the camera itself. And like and it kind of reminded me of that. I wonder if it goes to the hallway thing of like keeping things more narrow because I know what you or, mean. Or off kilter or something. Yeah. Things do seem oddly close together or misplaced. I wonder if there yeah. is a method to that of not framing it in the most traditional way. I mean, that's also, you know, playing devil's advocate of he did it on Possibly. purpose. You know, that's so, a very easy so, take to have. No, totally. And and I can't say that this is something that happens in all of his movies. And, and maybe this is something that like he was doing on purpose to you know, create that off-kilter effect. I, I just, it, it was strange because it, it felt like it would have had a much stronger impact to me if there were moments that, that this was happening in versus the entire time. And, and I, I really started to notice it after the first, like, 20 minutes. I was like, wow, that, that's a weird angle. That's a weird angle. That's a weird angle. Everything's a weird angle. And uh, <laughs> it had this interesting effect on me. Um, it's almost like it was shot in a nightmare alley. <laughs> exactly. That's that's where we end the show. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'll 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 do one more thing. Uh, we're gonna lighten it up a little bit, which is a, a funny like booze history thing. So this is supposed to be taking place in the late '30s, early '40s, and you see the uh, guys uh, at the very end, like sort of the the homeless folks in that in that encampment. That he, he comes out of his little shack and comes to the fire, and they're like, "Oh, you, you've got a." you know, pay for your, your booze here. Right. And he like hands him his watch. Right. Um, in that scene, like the bottle they're passing around is what is now like sort of an expensive bottle of uh, Martinique aged rum, like the, the oldest age they, they carry. And, but at the time, because, you know, Caribbean rum was still in production during prohibition and the great depression and even world war two, uh, you know, you could get a, for you know dime a dozen right and like it it's oh, funny interesting how detail it like at that time was was uh was considered you know the gut rod or whatever even though now it, i mean and i'm sure even in then it was you know a v- very good and uh, well-made spirit and you can follow jeremy floyd at distinguished spirits on youtube you can <laughs> that's a cool observation i uh, i love very that cool. I, that very cool. I, I, that was a bottle of booze to me. It was just yeah. like in the frame. I'm like, that's, well, I get they, it's booze. They, they, I didn't know what it was. They labeled it. So I was like, okay, well, that's yeah, interesting. No. I would never have picked that up. There was another detail. There's At one point, some town in Florida is mentioned. Like, uh, that's what the car news are like. We just came from there. And uh, that is... Jupiter? I don't I don't think it's Jupiter, but I think Gibtown maybe. That's, uh, that was from American Horror Story. They were in Jupiter, Florida with their carnival. <laughs> oh, gotcha, gotcha. Their freak show. Yeah. I think Jupiter is where that weird rock garden is where they filmed that like nudes on the moon 60s exploitation film. There's like a weird rock garden in Florida that's been used. Next week we'll be doing nudes on the moon. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, it was on Criterion Channel, you know. Hey, nudes on the moon has a very respected following. Uh, uh, but no, I, I, t- I love that detail, the, the period era 
detail. Uh, yeah, that, that that one little Carney town mentioned, we just came from there. It doesn't exist anymore, but yeah, that in the sure. 30s was apparently. Um, but I mean, gentlemen, thank you so much for having me. Thank on you for joining about, us again. I love talking about a new film. I mean, as much as I love talking yeah, about noir, no. uh, like classic yeah. noir, talking about something with threads to like actors that are alive is uh, so refreshing. <laughs> and, yeah, uh, exactly. No, absolutely. And, and, and I think I'll try to end on a more positive note here real quick. It's just that like what I also really appreciate about this movie, I know, I guess it apparently bombed in the box office and all this, um, but it is in some way in the conversation. And if we were to go back, I mean, 10 years or so, I mean, like you'd never hear about a, a film noir made, being made. And like, you know, it, mm. if, if things were being pitched as film noirs, they were like, uh, what else you got? Because, you know, it just wasn't happening. I mean, like, you know, there was kind of a glut of film noirs in the late nineties. And then I think, uh, you know, with a lot of them not doing well financially, you, you, you got people, rejecting them sight unseen and perhaps with Guillermo del Toro doing something like this uh, it helps lend a little uh little more prestige to it oh yeah and I think there are you know Soderbergh is still working in the neo-noir postmodern. you know it pops yeah. up it still pops yeah. up uh it's just surprising to see something so directly noir and, and like old-fashioned uh, in like yeah. a Oscars race and part of the conversation yeah that too. Pro- yeah. probably not gonna win probably not gonna go home with I mean, right before we wrap, I just want to point out the shot of the cir- the circus wheel and that distant shot of just the circus wheel lit and oh, the planes. I yeah. mean, beautiful. There are moments of this that like were like the house For, burning. Uh, yeah, wasn't that wasn't that framed by him um, burying dead chickens that the geek just bought, bit the head off too? <laughs> that <laughs> he was just taking them right outside the carnival and burying them. <laughs> I love that. I mean, it, it, yeah, it, it really. There's a juxtaposition there, right? He. Del Toro is yep. great about making these beautiful visuals, and then someone's head is literally getting ripped from their body on screen. But it all looks very pretty. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely sacred yeah. and profane. He's very good at uh, combining them. Yeah, yeah. Alex, could you tell people where they can follow you? Yeah, uh, only film noir is my Instagram. Uh, that is where I do a lot of my uh, sort of reviews of uh, films from the past. Uh, I uh, yeah, I'm going to be jumping back into it. I took a little break to kind of. Uh, focus on some other projects but uh yeah regularly on instagram as only film noir yeah and speaking of film noirs we're going to be doing some more film noirs next time is that right jeremy we are it's funny we already teased this one but we're going to re-tease it Uh, we'll re-tease it uh as we teased before uh let me re-tease this one uh we're going to be doing (laughs) i love lucy noirs Mm -hmm. uh so this is all the noir films that lucille ball this is Lucille Ball we're talking about, the actress, uh, not Lucy as we know her uh, from the That's show right. I Love Lucy. Uh, but she was a in, in a lot of these uh, film noirs, a couple of them I've watched already because we've got a, an episode coming up soon. Uh, but that's going to be The Big Street from 1942, The Dark Corner from 1946, and Lured from 1947. I really like Lured. That's a little little preview so weird seeing her as not lucy like i remember when i was yeah. young I still thought, hilarious though still and yeah. still super quippy yeah she popped up in like this marx brothers movie room service and i was like oh that's it's lucy but not lucy but yeah, yeah. i can't wait to can't wait to do that episode with you guys yeah, yeah and then we will be bringing back our our noir expert uh, right. alex for this one the, so our noir it's, uh, we'll see you soon yeah. <laughs> can't wait to come with the research gentlemen always a pleasure uh, great talking and disagreeing about the films and agreeing about the films and picking them apart. Uh, oh, pleasure as always. Thank you so much for inviting me back. Really, really enjoyed it. Cheers. 
Uh, thank you so much for listening. Please make sure to subscribe and follow us on all the podcasts and social platforms at the Grindhouse Institute. And if you really want to give us a boost, check us out on Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and review. It helps us to get noticed. Thanks so much, everybody. We will be back next week. Ciao. When a man believes his own lies, starts believing that he, he has the power, he's got shut eye. Because now he believes it's all true. And people get hurt. Good God-fearing people. And then you lie. You lie. And when the lies end, there it is. The face of God staring at you straight. No matter where you turn. No man can outrun God's stand.